first thought was, gosh, everybody is so sad about the Carolina loss. And, but they remembered that Duke lost, so they came on into church. Hallelujah to Jesus. Okay. Welcome to church. Glad you're here. We're starting a new series today called um, How to Beat the Odds. And here's the deal. Uh, 40, over 40 million American adults struggle with anxiety. Uh, one reason is because um, when we hear something, we don't know whether it's true or not. One tragedy happens after another one, war, politics, cancer, and then even though we are connected more than ever by the great super internet that we have, um, we're lonelier than ever. 80% of American adults are in consumer debt. That's not mortgage debt, that's in unsecured consumer debt, things like cars, credit cards, stuff like that. And the average person the age of 40 carries around $40,000 of consumer debt. 60% of adults in the U.S. don't refuse to attend church ever, not even Christmas and Easter. Uh, they, they also don't really claim a religious affiliation, not just Christian, but Muslim, Buddhist, whatever. And these are the odds, and I don't like these odds. I don't like them. I don't like the odds about debt. I don't like the odds about anxiety. I don't like the odds about faith. This series is about beating the odds. Because you, you don't have to be normal. You can beat the odds. So over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about how to beat these odds. Constant anxiety, knowing what's true. What do you do when the hits keep coming? Some of us are living in debt and we want to beat those odds. And some of us wonder, is the church and faith even worth keeping, or should we drop it all together? And today we're going to begin with what I believe is one of the biggest concerns that we have, is anxiety. Go ahead and pair up into groups of two or three, and get ready to tell each other your biggest fears and anxieties, okay? I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But if we were to take a poll and have people raise their hands, I believe more people than not would be like, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about something. I'm worried about something. I carry anxiety in my body. The National Institute of Health say that 20% of Americans report constant anxiety, like never-ending anxiety. In 2019, that number was 8%. And then... Something happened in 2020. We can't put our finger on it. But therapists have longer waiting lists than ever. And it's no wonder, because 2020 was the longest year in human history. It was like 46 years all put into one. This year is not over, and it's still building in momentum. The Middle East war, the Russia-Ukraine war, the concerns around the economy, concerns around inflation. I had a middle schooler tell me the other day, I can't pay for that because of inflation. <laughs> we haven't even begun to talk about our own personal lives. Those of us who are in blended families and dealing with different personalities and new personalities to us. Those of us who have been diagnosed with cancer or an addiction or someone that we love is struggling. And here's the deal. I love Jesus. I, like, I believe in Jesus. I follow Jesus. It's pretty, pretty important if you're going to be a pastor to, to nail those. 
but I experience and feel anxiety. I wish I didn't, but here's what anxiety looks like for me. I know that I, I, I know that I'm carrying anxiety in my body when I lay down to go to sleep at night and I can't turn my brain off. Maybe, maybe some of y'all struggle with this at times too. Like there's just constant, like the yesterday morning, I was awake at like six thinking about which drill at Lowe's I needed to rent to get through the concrete faster than the one I have. I was laying there awake thinking about this. I had my eyes closed because I didn't want, you know, my wife to think I was awake if she saw me. Because, you know, I just wanted to sleep in. But I had this constant thing going in my head. I, I know that I'm struggling or I'm carrying anxiety when I'm just constantly jittery. My, my grandfather used to carry a pocket full of change and he would always shake the change in his pocket. I think if I had a pocket full of change or coins, some of y'all don't know what this is because we don't use them much anymore. They're coins, quarters, nickels, dimes. Do they still make pennies? And he would just jingle them in his pocket all the time. I know that I'm carrying anxiety when I'm just fidgety and I can't stop moving. When I live in a perpetual rush. When somebody's in front of me on the, the, the highway, going five miles per hour above the speed limit, and I still feel like i got to pass them. Because everything is just kind of white-knuckled and constricted. I know I'm carrying anxiety when I really don't take care of myself. No relaxing. Just if I see it, I eat it. And some of you are like, yeah, that happens too often. I know. But some of us, we really just emotionally eat. We just... It's the only thing, or we find another vice. No Sabbath, no enjoyment in life. Some of us carry so much anxiety, we don't even know what it's like anymore to look forward to something. And in 2019, after years and years of bad sleep, bad diet, jitters, I had a heart attack. And the cardiologist told me, you know what, you need to see somebody because, yeah, you could lay off the Oreos. But the arteries around the, the side of, not where my heart is, but on this side of my chest, she said, your arteries are literally just constricting all the time. You're living like, like, like a constricting, flexing muscle all the time. You need to see somebody because this is more emotional than it is anything else. Side note, I just had a checkup and all my levels are good. Praise God. Don't clap. Okay, good. I love Jesus. I still struggle to catch my breath sometimes. Anxiety can be psychological, physiological, emotional, situational, and spiritual. I'm not a medical person. I'm not a psychiatrist or a therapist. But I can talk about anxiety when it comes to scripture. And I know that the spiritual life affects everything in my physical life. Christians struggle with anxiety. Good Christians. And because so many of us have grown up and heard sermons about uh, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, cast all your cares upon God, sometimes we grow up with this anxiety and we feel ashamed to talk about whether we have it or not later. 
We hear, so, we hear so many Christians and so many things from Scripture. Some of us grew up and, and some of us heard Scripture and we just automatically take it so literally without looking at how it fits in the rest of Scripture that we feel a lot of shame around anxiety. Like we can't talk about this in a church. We can't address this because the Bible says not to worry. Things like 1 Peter 5 where it says, Cast all your anxiety upon the Lord for he cares for you. Matthew 6, 25, where Jesus tells his disciples, don't worry about your life. Psalm 52, cast all your cares upon the Lord. And this one, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, which we're going to be hitting this verse especially today. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. You read these scriptures alone by themselves, and no worry feels like a command. And I'm in sin if I have anxiety. Because scripture says be anxious for nothing, but to pray to Jesus. And you know what, pastor? I prayed to Jesus, and nothing's happening with this anxiety. What now? And here comes the shame, because some of us feel that way, and, and some of us want to amen that statement, but it, it feels like we're going against what the Bible says. It feels sinful. Is it possible that these words from Scripture, don't worry about tomorrow, cast all your care upon him, be anxious for nothing, could it be that these are invitations rather than commands? Could it be that these scriptures are inviting us to shake off shame? Because that sounds more like the gospel to me. Could it be this, these scriptures are saying, you know what? You can cast your anxiety upon God. And he's going to give you peace. Let's look at scripture and, and let's specifically look at Jesus. Because even Jesus carried anxiety sometimes. And the first, the first scripture we're going to look at today is foundational for, for not just this anxiety stuff, but for everything in this series that we're talking about. It comes out of Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. And the Apostle Paul is writing this from a jail cell. From a jail cell. A, a full reason to be anxious, a full reason to be nervous and filled with tension and worried. And here's what he says. He says a lot of things before verse 12, but we're going to start here. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the, what does that red word say? I've learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether it is on a full stomach or empty, plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. If you went to Sunday school when you were a kid, you learned the ten finger prayer. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 11-figure prayer. I don't know. One of those. Did you learn that growing up? I can do everything, all things. And when I was a kid, I prayed that and I had an evil laugh after it. <laughs> I can do everything. Okay, this isn't talking about me becoming a villain and a dictator. This is talking about having endurance and contentment, not world domination. But Paul says this is a secret. What does he mean by that? Quick history lesson. Back in the day when Paul wrote this, there were these uh, cults and religions and these factions that were going around. And they were, they were full of mystery. They had secret contexts. 
You have to be initiated or part of the, the group in order to understand and get in on the secret of what was going on. And in culture, if you were in one of these groups, it's kind of like being a, like a Swifty, I guess. You had to be in one of these groups or you didn't understand what was going on. Kind of like the Illuminati. Just kidding. Paul goes, I've learned the secret. Paul is ripping something from the culture and he is applying it to knowing Jesus. Let's say that again. Paul is taking something that was culturally embedded and he is using those words to let people know. He is building intrigue based off of what's happening in the culture, what's happening in his world to talk about Jesus. He's saying, I've learned the secret. He's saying, I've been initiated in the group for contentment. Now, just just step back for a minute. This is the, Philipp, the, the culture of Philippi, not the culture of Albemarle. But if somebody looked at you with the anxiety that you've got going on and said, you know what, I've, I've actually learned a secret. I've learned a life hack for contentment. Would you lean in? I mean, would you at least watch the TikTok video? Would, would, you, would you be like, okay, well, let's see if they've got it or not. Here's my other question. What cults, what groups... What things have we already bought into? What secrets have we learned? And do they work? Paul is bringing something to those people from a context of jail, saying that no matter the situation, I've learned the secret for contentment, and I'm content here. And you better believe that meant something to folks. And what is the secret? Verse 13, he says, because of Christ. This doesn't seem like a secret to us, but think about it for a minute. What are we conditioned to do when we're anxious and filled with worry? What do we lean into? How do we deal with it? What what are we conditioned to do? Some of us are conditioned to reach for something that will bring us pleasure. Or we move further away from people and isolate ourselves because there's shame attached to how we're feeling. We feel like nobody else can understand us. What do we do when we are bombarded by things that we need? When you, when you think about life like that, I can see how Christ would feel like a secret. Because to some of us, it, Christ is the most obvious of answers to everything in life. And some of us, we feel like, oh, I've tried that. If Jesus was all he said he was, I wouldn't be in this state right here. Oh, oh, Christ, oh, okay. Another, another one of those people from the church or people of faith that just deny the real existence of pain all around them. And I would humbly submit to you that Paul wasn't denying anything when it came to his pain. Our firstborn child, um, when she would go to sleep at the age of one or two in that year, she would wake up like all the time, like two, three times an hour sometimes, with blood-curdling screams. And what we learned is that she had this issue of getting ear infections constantly. Some of you parents have dealt with this before. 
And it didn't matter what we did, she was in pain as soon as she laid down. Some of y'all, you may have an ear infection right now, and you're like, yeah, I get it. For a one- or two-year-old to be in pain, yeah, they cry. They cry. They scream. And you know what? It's, it's no matter what we did, no matter how much we, we rocked her, no matter how much we cuddled her, no matter how much we assured her, nothing would bring relief until there was an antibiotic that quickly started having an effect. And it's the same with anxiety. Only in Christ, and here's my audacious claim as a preacher, only when we are rooted in Christ will our lives find contentment. And it's not just my words. It's the words of the guy that's sitting in prison writing them. Your life will battle with constant anxiety until Christ is all you need. And constant is the main word there. Because even Jesus carried anxiety. Even Paul, at times, carried anxiety. It's like if you're breathing, there's going to be something you're going to become anxious about. But the invitation is what to do with that anxiety. See, I battle with anxiety, but not constantly, not all the time. And my family can tell you, my battles today with anxiety are way different than they were 10 years ago. What's the biggest contributor to your anxiety? Like, think about it. Don't answer out loud, please. What's the biggest thing that contributes to the things you're anxious and worried about? In talking with people, I've discovered, and this isn't biblical truth, it's just my opinion. But I've discovered or seen three main things or areas where people carry anxiety about. Things and money are right up there. Your car, your house, your bank account, your debt, your future, your retirement, your job. Where we're going to get the next paycheck. Relational, that's the second way. My friends, my family, my marriage, my lack of marriage. My being invited, not being invited. Me being married, not being married. Me spending enough time with the kids, not enough time with the kids. Me having friends, me being ignored. And then the third one that I see constantly is circumstances. At this point in life, I should be in this place. I was diagnosed with this illness. I should be a parent by now. Some of us are dealing with the season in life with aging. And some of us are dealing with the season of life of, what am I going to do after college? Parenting. Not to mention the circumstances of war and trouble happening. Expose these biggest, wherever your biggest contributor for anxiety is, expose that to Christ is the first step. A very wise person once said that life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of of how you choose to respond to it. Life is 10% of what's actually happening to you and 90% is how you choose to respond to it. See, we read these words from Paul because he wrote from the middle of a prison. And I don't read anything in those verses really about prison. If I'm in, now he did write about prison. He wrote about his present sufferings. But can I tell you something? If I'm in jail, the only way I can talk to y'all is to write, I am letting you know how bad jail is. 
They served powdered eggs for the 17th day in a row. You know, I'm going to be talking about me, me. Paul has really found the secret of contentment. How does he do this? How do you do this? How do we take our anxiety? How do I take that thing that I just checked off when Nate was talking about it? That circumstance or that, that money thing, that relationship. How do I submit that to Jesus and then move forward, like practically? Well, let's look at Jesus. Because Scripture gives us this moment of incredible anxiety that Jesus had. And I think we can learn something. Before he was arrested, Jesus had this last dinner with his disciples. It's called the Last Supper. We share in communion and we remember this moment. Jesus knows he's going to be arrested. He knows that he's going to be tortured. He knows he's going to be executed. He knows that the method of execution is going to be humiliating, that it's going to be painful. Judas, one of the disciples, slipped out at dinner to go and betray him, and he calls it out, and he knows Judas is going to betray him. And he goes to pray in the garden, and he takes three close friends with him. And when he goes to the garden and to pray we notice what Jesus does with anxiety. We look at what Jesus surrounded himself with, what he prayed for, and what he did. So how did Jesus deal with anxiety? First thing he did was he shared his anxiety with his friends. You go to Mark chapter 14 where this story is shared, and we, we, we get these this little bit of the first part of the story in verses 32, 33, and 34. The Bible says this. They, Helman, these three disciples, he went to a place called Gethsemane. Actually, he took all the disciples. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with them Peter, James, and John. He went further, and he began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I'm deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. Think about your closest friend, and if they look at you and say, I am under so much right now, I feel like I'm going to die. Like, you don't, you don't pull that card flippantly, or you don't have friends that trust you. Because they're like, oh yeah, again, boy who cried wolf, you know. Jesus had really never done this with his disciples before. He says to them, I am moved, I am grieved, I am distressed, deeply grieved. To the point of death. And the first thing we learn is that anxiety can't be a sin. It's not a sin, but it can lead you to sin. What do you do when you're grieving and when you're beyond, like, you're just beyond yourself? And you're filled with distress. It can lead you to sin. It can lead you to binging. It can lead you to self-medication. It can lead you to rage. It can lead you to lots of things to live past your margins. But anxiety itself is its sin because Jesus carried anxiety. So again, can we please unwrap ourselves from the lie that it is shameful to carry anxiety? Because Jesus carried all things like a normal human. The, the, the version of the Bible called The Message says this about his anxiety. It says, he plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. You ever seen a sinkhole? Go on YouTube or TikTok. There's tons of them. 
TikTok itself may be a sinkhole. Anyway, he, it says he plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. And then he turns to his friends and he says, I need you. Stay here with me. Be here with me. Scripture doesn't tell us if they looked at Jesus and said anything. It wasn't really about what his friends needed to say. It was about Jesus having his friends there and not being alone. And I'm convinced that so many people are battling with anxiety all the time today because they isolate and they refuse to let anybody in. They just, I honestly believe it. There's so many of us and, and we're just feeling unsettled and we're, we're, we're scared to death and you're vulnerable whatever the latest rumor of bad news is because you're lacking godly, encouraging, uplifting, spiritual bonding community. You're lacking the body of Christ around you. Can I tell you something? If you are in constant anxiety about what you're being told, surround yourselves with the people of God. Don't isolate yourself further into that sinkhole of despair. The body of Christ, our job is to bring healing to each other. And the presence, just being together, praying together, it isn't so much about the information that we receive or the performance that we bring. It's really about just being. Being together. Being with each other. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, God set this up. He said this. He said, it is not good for these humans to be alone. We were created for relationship. And if you're feeling anxious, oh, let me encourage you, refuse isolation. Refuse it. Isolation will send you deeper into that sinkhole. Refuse it. I would encourage you, get around the church of Jesus. Uh, Michaela talked earlier about the Wednesday night, the midweek stuff that we got going on. It doesn't really care what the group is about. It doesn't really matter, honestly. Just be around the people of Jesus. Bring your friends in close. That's the first thing Jesus did. The second thing Jesus did was he prayed. He prayed to his father. He prayed to his father. There's there's a truth about anxiety, and I want to tell a story to illustrate it, but the, the statement is this. Anxiety is a signal that's alerting you it's time to pray. Now, here's the story. I think I was 23 or 22 at the time and had a green Ford Ranger back in the 90s. Uh, it was a 1994 Ford Ranger that I acquired free of charge from my dad. And um, it started running really weirdly. It started, you know, kind of like Fords do. And um, <laughs> fix her repair daily, am I right? And it was just running really really weird and like some of y'all are really conflicted right now (laughs) god's gonna bring healing to that i was driving and like like it would just make this like this noise when i was driving when i was driving and i lived in wachula florida at the time anybody heard of wachula florida you know there's only one or two usually yeah so you can say it when you sneeze wachula and I was living there at the time, and I pulled in. There was this guy from the church named Mr. Driscoll, nice guy. And I pulled into his service station because he fixed cars. I said, Mr. Driscoll, something's up with my truck. 
So it's just making the sound. He goes, all right, well, let's go for a ride. And he hops in the passenger side, and he gets in with me. And we start going, and sure enough, it starts making that sound. And he looks at my dashboard, and he reaches over. He did not ask permission. He reaches over and just starts taking all of my sticky notes off of the dashboard that were covering up all the gauges. And did you know that that, that, that engine was running incredibly hot? And if you don't know anything about vehicles and cars, that's bad. And he started laughing. He said, take it. He was like, we, we were like maybe a half a mile from the service station. And he said, pull into this gas station real quick. And I pulled in. He popped the trunk, I mean the, uh, the hood. And my, my radiator was just like smoke just started bellowing out. And he took off his shirt and he took off the cap, and it popped really loud. And I mean, it was just spurting. And he's laughing the whole time. And he puts his shirt back on, and he goes, and he gets water, and he just starts pouring water. He just starts cooling it down. And he said, you blew, you blew your head gasket because you didn't know your truck was running hot because you had all these Post-it notes sitting there in front of your, in front of your temperature gauge. you got to look at those things. I said, oh, okay, well, can we, can we address that today? He goes, sure, sure. It's going to cost you about $1,000. I was like, what? He goes, yeah. You got to watch the signals, buddy. Anxiety is a red flashing light on your dashboard. And it's alerting you. It's time to pray. Are you worried about your marriage? It's time to pray. Are you worried about the election? It's time to pray. Are you worried about COVID? It's time to pray. Are you worried about the school and your kids? It's time to pray. Are you worried about cancer? It's time to pray. And preacher, I know that prayer is is pretty important, but it, it sounds kind of cliche. Listen, Jesus was anxious to the point of death, where his sweat was pouring off of him like blood flowing from an open wound. And some scholars say that his blood vessels were so constricted that they were, he was actually sweating blood because his blood vessels were bursting. Matthew 14, go to the next verses, verses 35 and 36. Going a little farther, Jesus, he fell to the ground and prayed, if it is possible the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, Everything is possible from you. Take this cup from me. What an honest prayer. That's a gut-wrenching, vulnerable prayer. Have you ever found yourself coming before God, just saying, take it away. Take it away. Take it away. God loves you, and you can cry out to him. Peter says, and we read this earlier, to cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. When when we're saying take it to prayer, this is the kind of prayer that I'm inviting you to. Where you're taking that angst and you're taking that anxiety and you're, 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 you're getting it out of you. You're speaking it out. You're laying it before God in prayer. This is not a command. This is an invitation. Don't keep carrying it the way you've been carrying it. Cast it on me. If it's on your mind, it's on his heart. Share with your friends, but also share with your father. When we say prayer, I think some of the issue with us is that our preconceived notions about prayer just seem to automatically 
color the picture for us of what that kind of prayer looks and feels like. And, and when we say take it to prayer, if your first thought is, yeah, I tried that, or if your first thought is, ah, give me something practical, I invite you again to the gut-wrenching emotional experience of purging yourself before the Lord and that anxiety. Jesus did this in the garden. The last thing he did, and I want to close with, with this point, is he shared and submitted his feelings to God. He shared and submitted what he wanted. He didn't hold back. And what he, what he says matters. Anybody like me, and sometimes you struggle with feelings. Like sometimes I think so much, I don't even pay attention to what I'm feeling. A counselor friend of mine said to me, how are you feeling today from the, from the neck down? What are you thinking? How are you feeling? Jesus was feeling grief all over his body. Like, sometimes, have you ever found yourself having crazy feelings? Like feelings you know you shouldn't have? Anybody ever said to you, well, just follow your heart? And can I tell you something? I'd be in jail if I followed my heart. Some kid was mean to my kid, I'd be in jail if I followed my heart. One of you, rude to me or my wife, I'd go to jail if I followed my heart. SWAT team's coming after me because I'm holding you hostage. Follow your heart. Nobody here married their prom date. Well, maybe a couple of you did. Follow your heart. That's the dumbest advice. Why do I say that? Well, because I believe Scripture says the heart is deceitful among many things. But here's the thing. You can't deny your heart. You can't pretend that your feelings don't exist. Because you know what happens when you just push your feelings down and you pretend they're not there all the time. Suddenly the pressure builds up and you just explode. It just goes everywhere. Your feelings are all over everybody. And it ain't pretty and nobody likes it. No, 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 no. Don't follow your heart. Let Jesus lead your heart. Follow Jesus, not your heart. He gives you your heart's desires. See, Jesus never wanted to be rejected, arrested, and killed. Listen to what he says. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Take this cup, what cup? This cup of suffering that's going to be poured out on him. Take it from me. I don't want it. Next sentence. But not what I want, but what you want. Jesus wants the suffering to not happen. How does he feel? He doesn't feel like going to the cross. But what does he do? He acknowledges those feelings. He doesn't deny them. This is so important. Because so many of us, we deny how we feel. And I I need you to hear this. If you're going to be like Jesus, you can't deny how you feel. You You have to acknowledge how you feel. You have to bring that before God. But you also have to bring truth to those feelings. Not my will, but your will. We must acknowledge our feelings and align them to what is true. 
How do you feel? Do you feel like God doesn't love you? Well, here's the truth. The truth is God does love you. 1 John chapter 4, write it down. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. Do you feel like you're always alone? Like nobody cares? And that you are isolated all alone? Bring that feeling to God and align it with the truth of Scripture. God never leaves you or forsakes you. Isaiah 41.10, So do not fear, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold my righteous right hand. Do you feel worried and anxious about the future? Here's the truth. God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 Bring your fears, your frustrations, your anxiety to God, your feelings and call them out, but line them up to the truth. Do you feel like a victim? Bogged down, hopeless, nothing's ever going to be right. Here's the truth. The truth is God made you to be more than an overcomer. Romans 8 says that in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I want to encourage you as we are in the midst of going through that through it all we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus stumbles into the garden, overwhelming, crushed soul. Anxiety. Soldiers are on their way to arrest him, facing death and execution and unspeakable torture, excruciating pain and shame on the cross. Jesus stumbles into the garden, weighed down by his anxiety, and he stands up after prayer, his feelings still with him, but guided by the truth. And he walks out of the garden strong and determined and resolute, unshakable, saying things like, nobody takes my life, I freely give it. And with this scripture out of Philippians chapter 4, I've alluded to it a few times. And our team can come on, they're going to sing some songs here in just a second. Do not be anxious about anything. And in the brackets, I added something. Virus, election, future, children, marriage. Do not be anxious, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Remember earlier, we thank God for things. Make your request known to God. And what? The peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, how does that happen? I don't know. It transcends all understanding. There's a mystery part to this thing. I don't understand it all. But I know that today, after years of giving my anxiety to God, I know that today I am more at peace than I've ever been. And it feels like the hits keep coming sometime. But here's the thing. The peace of God will guard you. This is an invitation, not a condescension. The peace of God, not your peace. Not peace 
from the world or the society around you. Peace from God. This is not a peace that the world can give. It's also not a peace that the world can take away. It's from him. And and I can't stand up here with any integrity and tell you that anxiety isn't real, that you should just shut it down. I can't. That That would be against what I see happening to Jesus. I wish I could. Because it would be really nice to just no anxiety. But it doesn't seem like that's how God works in our lives. It seems like God planted us in this earth as fully human beings. And we consistently recognize our need for this God. For his good news. For his help. I want to say some prayers over you. Would you stand with me? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, some of you walked in carrying anxiety like a big old wet weighted blanket. Wednesday night in our in our group, I looked across the room and I said, gosh, I can just feel the anxiety here. I can just feel it. You don't have to say very much. We, we all could just feel the heaviness. With hands out in front of you, with palms facing up, I want you to feel that anxiety falling out of your hands. I want you to feel it like, like, a, like a wet blanket that you're letting go. Because you're giving it to God. And you're going to continue giving it to Him again and again and again and again and again. Cast all your anxiety on Him, for He cares for you. You are invited by God. Throw it on me, and I will give you peace. So we say, God, we trust you. We believe you. God, we cast it on you. And we're going to keep doing it. God, free us from, from the shame that we often feel when it comes to this anxiety thing. And point us to places where, where we, we can get some help with this. Some of us, we really need some help. Don't isolate. I pray by the power of Jesus that you will, be, you are, you will not be able to isolate yourself be surrounded by his church and his spirit I invite you to the mystery of God's peace and all across this room with heads bowed and eyes closed I invite you again some of you are far away from Jesus that's how you feel it's not true you can't be far away from Jesus he's He's omnipresent, which means that he, he is wherever you show up. He's wherever you're going. He goes ahead of you. There's nowhere you can hide from him. But here's the thing. You feel far away from Jesus. And you know you've got to make things right with him. You know you need to repent of your sins. You feel the weight and the burden of unforgiveness and anxiety that you have carried needlessly. 
you have tried. The sin with anxiety is often that we have tried to keep carrying it and being like God. That's the sin. Some of us today are like, you know what? Yeah, I need to repent. I need Jesus. That's you really quickly. From the left of the room to the right of the room. I'm just scanning. If that's you, raise your hand. Look at me. Get my attention. Pray for me. Gotcha. Yeah. Who else? Anybody else? One across the room. Pray for me. I need to make things right with them. Yep. Gotcha. 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 Everybody repeating after me these words. Dear Jesus. Come on, say it loud and proud. Dear Jesus. I'm a sinner. You're a savior. You love me. You care about me. I give you my anxiety. I give you my life. I repent of my sins. Forgive me, God, so I can walk with you and have your peace, have your love, walk in your mercy, the power of resurrection. I choose you, Jesus, above all others, because you first chose me. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.